everyone, and welcome to a special collaborative episode between the Strange Matters podcast and the Eastern Border podcast. Hosting for Strange Matters, I am Sean, joined by my fellow co-host, Eric. What's up, guys? And we are joined today by fellow podcaster and host of the Eastern Border podcast, Kristaps. Greetings, comrades. All right, so here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is strange, bizarre, and mysterious. Kristaps, you want to talk a little bit about your show, introduce yourself? Yeah, I can do that. I, I do a show about the history of and life in the Soviet Union, and I specialize in the fact that I collect the stories of the people who live there. I give the personal experiences of this, and apparently I'm useful for you too, guys. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, man, thanks for joining us. Happy to have you on board. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the aftermath of the Chernobyl disaster, looking at the real-world impacts it had on the people and the surrounding environment, and also looking into some of the strange myths and legends that surround the event. Now, I'm sure a lot of people here are at least somewhat familiar with Chernobyl, the worst nuclear disaster in human history. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for those who don't know, Kristaps just did an entire episode on the Chernobyl disaster, basically giving the background and what happened during the disaster. So you just want to give a quick summary of the events that led up to the disaster? Well, I'm not going to repeat everything right now, but what people have to know is that due to huge amounts of nepotism and corruption and faulty materials and everything, which was going on in the area around Chernobyl, uh, during a test, a safety test, uh, where safety instructions were completely ignored due to the administration, uh, everything went wrong and reactor four exploded. That ended up with that ended up terribly, and at the end, around oh I don't know seventy thousand people ended up being eradicated. And but but yeah, it basically happened because of of use of the corruption and the nepotism and general lack of everything in the Soviet system during a test in the reactor where all the safety measures were utterly ignored, the reactor 4 exploded, which led up to about 50, 60 people being terribly irradiated. I, I can say for sure that at least at least 60,000 people, that's the total population of Pripyat and Chernobyl. Right. And a lot of people died. So my understanding, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that the explosion could have been a lot worse and killed a lot more people um, had all of the reactors exploded. Am, am I correct with that statement? Uh, the test happened when they were shutting down the reactors. It just happened. <laughs> it was the test and experiment just in reactor four. And it wasn't about all the reactors exploding. Uh, what could have made it worse was that there was a lot of water under the reactor four where where it was like used for cooling the reactor. So after the explosion, the initial explosion, they actually sent a lot of volunteers, <clears throat> volunteers in air quotes here, uh, to pump out the water. They're all mostly dead by now. Um, but if if the water hadn't been pumped out and the reactor core of the reactor four had uh, melted through the floor and went into the water, then we would have a humongous steam cloud, steam cloud everywhere, which would even which would spread even more death. And as the reactor was basically built almost right next to a river, a huge cloud of steam, which would definitely rain down somewhere would be just, just dreadful. But they still had a cloud of, of dust which rained down. By the way, this is a thing which I didn't mention on my show because I didn't know that, but 
apparently there was this huge cloud with the dust and everything from the, the explosion. And the Russians just forced it like not to go to the Moscow side and not rain on Moscow or Europe. They forced it to rain over Siberia with helicopters and chemicals. The problem is that even though the people who got irradiated in the Chernobyl accident itself, they got some reimbursement for the damages, the people upon whom, which was in like middle Siberia, upon whom this radioactive cloud of dust like framed over, they received nothing, essentially, and they were ignored. But it could have been much worse than, again, the Soviet administration forced it to be as terrible as humanly possible. I mean, in Chernobyl, the city of Chernobyl, upon which the director is named, they literally made people go on a 1st of May parade. They gathered children from outside of the zone of radiation, pulled them in, and just made a huge festivity on the 1st of May as if nothing had happened. Evacuated them only like four days later. But Disney cartoons everywhere on the TVs, nothing happened. Everyone's like hiding. They kind of did make it. Like it could have been worse, but um, it could have been worse. But I don't know. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the crazy parts. Is that I would have thought that I mean, even if they wanted to keep it under wraps, that they would still try to at least start evacuating the people right away instead of waiting for days afterwards. So that was probably one of the more disturbing facts of the case for me is that they did wait beyond the day of the disaster before they started evacuating people out of the area. Yeah, but but see, that's that's how the Soviet government operated, essentially. Not to get political here, but that's how they kind of won the World War II as well. But it's just everything had to be in order, <clears throat> and, and that's how the they they got their spaceships flying also, because the life of an ordinary Soviet citizen was not a very very valuable thing. I mean. They officially had a 5% death rate in every military exercise ever if you were in the army. Right. That's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, because, you know, just the bureaucracy ran, ran all the systems. Uh, and with with so many people living in the Soviet Union, nobody really, really cared. It wasn't like in your country where, you know, people actually mattered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have some of that over in the U.S. too, but... I like what you said in your episode. It seemed that a lot of people who were working at the Chernobyl station got their jobs by connections rather than being qualified for it. Yeah, but, you know, that that happened everywhere. And, you know, being an engineer in a reactor facility wasn't even one of the highest paid jobs there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to with a bit of tension, but guess what would be the most, most influential and the, like, one of the highest paid jobs for which people paid really, really huge bribes to get into? You're going to be amazed, guys. Uh, politics. No, politics. Uh, you were born in politics. Forget I, about politics. Everyday job. Uh, the guy who lets people in into restaurants. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Because wow. uh, to even get into a restaurant, you basically had to bribe the guy who was waiting at the door, like the bouncer. Don't yeah. bribe the bouncer. Don't pass face control. They literally paid huge bribes just to stay at their position. They received even no official salary. They didn't need to. So they just worked from their bribes? Yep. <laughs> That's wow. crazy. It's a systemic fault of systemic fault of things, I suppose. Then again, the capitalism also has its own faults, I think. I've, I've let, read a lot of Dilbert, and, and you know, there's this limit <laughs> of how big a corporation 
corporation can get well there's a limit on how big a corporation can get before the incompetence kicks in and essentially Soviet Union was just one huge corporation yeah so let's go back to Chernobyl so I mean Christoph you did like a whole lot of research I mean can you pinpoint just one major reason that led to the disaster or is it just a whole bunch of collection of smaller mistakes that just was adding up to it well literally just just general incompetence even even like month before there's a thing about how was it yeah 2538 tons of metal construction material were not delivered to the reactor as planned <clears throat> that's from the newspaper a month ago just just didn't happen but that's only about the explosion and the real tragedy here uh, happens from one of the timelines which I use in my own show but the trick is like right explosions happens in the night right it's just night to friday to saturday and the one thing which really struck me in the whole timeline and everything was the fact that uh, in the official timelines everywhere is written Saturday morning, because the Soviet people work on Saturdays, Saturday morning, 8 a.m., 286 people go to work to continue building Reactor 5. Hmm. Wow. You understand where the problem lies, right? Yeah. Yeah, the fourth reactor there is burning and it's blowing up and we're taking people to the hospital, but... You know what the plan says uh, that for you says that you must work. So yeah, you know, off to work you go. So it's all uh, it's all about the leadership and how they're lying to keep things in motion and trying to keep the, the population. It's about the system. It's about the deep problems in the system which created exactly zero interest to do your job properly with some quality, unless you were a deeply fanatical communist, which most people weren't. Yeah, I guess. I mean, a nuclear power plant is probably where you would want the most qualified people and people who are passionate about their jobs just because there are so many things that could go wrong, you know, such as this disaster. So, I mean, if you have a whole bunch of people who don't give a crap about their job, you know, I guess this kind of thing just can happen. But that that literally happened everywhere. I mean, Soviets Soviets started their space program because they were building uh, ICBMs to shoot nukes at you, but then those rockets kept exploding because they couldn't travel far enough and they had a lot of issues. So they decided that, you know, we could actually use them to shoot people into into space. <laughs> they were really crappy rockets. They were really, really crappy ICBMs, but they made, you know... They were quite okay for shooting them into space. Right. What? I, I, I was born in the country which thought that, that you were going to bomb us in, in every second, okay? So, um... I still yeah. want to poison your water. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Do that, um... Yeah, no bad blood, right? <laughs> so, Chris Stapps, I wanted to say you did a really nice job in your episode of describing not only the events of what happened, but also the acts of courage and heroism that really kind of represented humanity at that time and the people that were willing to go into the water to pump pump it out and to save lives. Um, however, I think you wrapped things up nicely at the end of this episode when you stated that there was nothing more horrifying about the event than some of the people whose decisions allowed the events to un- unfold. That being said, today I think we're going to kind of – now that we've gotten a little bit of history about the Chernobyl event and what happened there, I think we're going to examine some of the more interesting and horrific myths and legends that have come about as a result of the Chernobyl disaster. Oh, yeah, sure. See, I read about myths a lot, but I kind of think that if the myths that surround Chernobyl were true, that would still be way less scary than what the actual people were doing. Yeah, I hear you. 
All right, so let's get on to, I guess, the aftermath of Chernobyl, and then we'll start talking about kind of the weird stuff. So as far as deaths go, is it correct that... So it was 31 people died right after the disaster, correct? I actually will have to disappoint you, because um, I don't know the exact number, because I worked with the... I actually had the story with two firefighters and one of the guys who, who worked there. Right. But I, I know I know names of some people who died there, at least seven firefighters, but I don't exactly know the number of doctors. If you've Googled that one up or found it somehow, um, yeah, might be, might be. Okay. But yeah, I, I mean, that's really, just, that's I, just... it wasn't that important for me, for my show at that moment, so uh, thank you for finding that one. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I was kind of surprised because I guess when I kind of first learned or thought about Chernobyl, I thought it was like a huge disaster where like everyone in the city died. So I was kind of surprised that there weren't a whole lot of deaths that occurred right after it. And I think the reason that it wasn't... In my research, I learned that this was not a nuclear explosion in the sense that it exploded like an atomic bomb. It was right. an explosion from inside the reactor, but and it, it released, from what I learned, about 30 times the radiation of Nagasaki and Hiroshima combined. However, had it been an actual nuclear explosion in into the physics of actually splitting an atom, then it would have wiped out a much larger portion of the population. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, but imagine imagine this. Would you rather die a swift, nice instant death or you'd like go out in your day and you like live in this Pripyat city? And you just walk around, you eat your meal, your cafe, but all the time you see the nuclear reactor over there is burning and it's half rubbled and, and suddenly police is everywhere, but they're silent that they're not telling you anything. No, you're you're totally right. I think the way things happened was way worse of a situation than to, like you said, be instantly put out of your misery. Yeah, but I'm I'm sorry, I don't know the physics that much. Uh, I'm not a physicist, uh physician physicist yeah one of those <laughs> i'm sorry but uh, yeah essential in one way or another now yeah essentially it, it was it was just the fact that uh, the as far as i get it uh, the the system broke and it allowed the nuclear fuel to leak instead of nuclear explosion and it would be like it would be like really terribly terribly instantaneously bad Exactly. Yeah. But uh, there was the risk of this uh, after, like I said, with the water thing going down there. That was the reason why they pumped out the water because uh, there was a huge risk of this happening. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, one of the interesting things that I've heard is, I guess because the Soviets were trying to keep this under wraps, was that like other countries weren't aware of all this major release of radioactive material. Uh, I think Sweden was the first that became aware of it when workers at their nuclear power plant found radioactive particles on their clothing and i guess they tested it their their power plant wasn't leaking and other i think it were like germany and a few other places started to pick up more radiation and then it was only after that like they were investigating that they found out like the outside world found out that this chernobyl disaster happened yeah and a lot of people in the soviet union found out only after the swedish found out because swedes were like the first ones and like I said, everything on television was basically Disney movies all out, all throughout Ukraine. And because we were actually actively trying to listen to Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, the radio amateurs, uh, 
which weren't exactly in Pripyat or Chernobyl, the radio amateurs from outside that region were, were the first to find out. Because yeah. other other people in the nation just didn't didn't find out anything, right? But yeah, but but the Swedes the Swedes found out about found out about it first. Yeah, I mean it's crazy to think that I guess the government and the officials are trying to keep this disaster secret when it was affecting just a huge region of Europe and like so many people could be contaminated, but they were trying to I guess trying to control the situation rather than actually warn people. I actually, uh, for my episode, I met with three survivors from Chernobyl. We have some here, and um, didn't mention their names. And um, but, but technically, you know, they they all are cancer survivors as well. One of wow, them is yeah. one of one of them is permanently blind. One has lost his legs, and they are all sterile by this moment. They can't have any children. Jeez. Oof. And I think you said in your episode, Kristaps, that it was it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to keep things a secret, but they were trying to save themselves and their families before telling the rest of the people what was going on because it would have caused mass hysteria. Yes, of course, but that was normal in Soviet Union. Yeah. Like uh, it's completely immoral and terrible what they did, but honestly. Um, it's not like this hadn't happened before with other terrible disasters. Yeah, they they literally they didn't care. <laughs> they they just didn't care, and they tried to save save their own families and themselves. Uh, I, I so it just kind of this is this is a thing which which is almost as hard for me to talk about as the Afghanistan war and. It's really really tragical about about the, all of this. And then again, you know they. Like I said, the Soviet man always deals with this by making jokes. And and one which I didn't tell on the show, but I'm going to tell you now, is like, like uh, there's a, in 1987, an American tourist goes to Kiev, to, to, to the market. And he just walks around, photos everything, and, and, go, and, and he's just uh, wandering and talking with the salesperson saying, wow, such nice birds you have, haven't, haven't ever heard them. And the salesperson just tells him those those are not birds; those are termites. <laughs> and and uh, and the Soviet man says, "Well, well, that's that's strange. Well, I'm I'm gonna buy some of your watermelons." And then the salesperson grabs one of them, gives it to him, and says, "Well, that will be three dollars for a grape." <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. I uh, I mean that's one of the I guess misconceptions of this whole thing is afterwards is that I was kind of expecting. A whole bunch of just weird mutated animals and plants with like different, you know, three headed deers and people with extra limbs and just huge tumors all over their bodies. And no, stuff. that that didn't happen. That's not the strange thing. And then this I googled up just for your show, basically, because you see all this this trick. The zone is, is this these uh, about thousand square miles, right? But there yeah. are about five hundred people actually living there illegally. Around yeah. them, and and that's the scary part because uh, not that they're mutated in the way that they have two heads, but obviously they can just endure this. And why why are they doing there? That's the weirdest conspiracy theories that I've read about on the Russian internet about what are those guys illegally living there right now doing? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because yeah, I heard that there were like a few hundred people. I mean, I don't are they hiding in the zone or do? 
like do they are they actually like living in houses and people are aware of them but no one just bothers to go and get them out depends depends some are known because you know they're as far as i've read on the russian internet and you can you can like really never trust russian internet cuz uh, they have this television channel which basically every day uh, tries to tell me that <clears throat> Evil Americans that use their iPhones as a firm of mind control. Apple has paid for the election and Apple wants insert your favorite Democrat or Republican candidate here to win so that they can mind control them. Uh, but, so let's, let's take it with a huge grain of salt. But on right. the forums and Internet, uh, there's this idea that, the see, there were like old people and there were young people. There were like children who just – because the evacuation happened like people – were told to evacuate about an hour before the evacuation started. And it happened about 24 hours in Pripyat, which is like right next to the reactor, only about 24 hours after the explosion. Right. When everyone was away. So some people kind of stayed, like old people, or some people were left behind. But right now, nobody knows. People know that there are some old people, like really old, about 70 or 80, who just left behind and, and just living there. And the border guards and the control post just let them be. You know, what's an old lady? She's 86. She's living there. She's lived there all their life. It's her parents' home, whatever. Those people are okay, but the, there are there have been sightings of people who technically live in the homes, but in white uniforms by tourists. There have been some photos. Uh, you're going to have to find them, but there have been sightings by tourists in the zone because you can visit the zone for $135. And there have been sightings of, of, of strange people in, in the zone who avoid avoid things. Sometimes they appear, they go to some local store, but it's not they can't be arrested because it's illegal to live in the zone, but nobody's actively trying to catch them. The idea is that, that, nobody, that there are some speculations about that something might be going down here, which uh, the Russian government doesn't want no one doesn't want doesn't want to tell other people about. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they do have some kind of secret military base in there now. No, I have I have something, like, really creepy for you guys. <clears throat> By the way, do you know that the name Chernobyl, right? It it stands for... It stands for this plant, uh, absinthe, otherwise called wormwood, the, the really bitter thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Let me quote you. A listener posted this on my, my page. I'm just going to quote you. <clears throat> Revelation 8.11. <clears throat> the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. That revelations in the Bible? Yep. Wow. That is strange. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It might be coincidence, but, you know, Chernobyl is Wormwood in Ukraine. Uh, yeah. and, and, and he just... I posted my, my episode, and he just posted there... Uh, posted this there... And it, and it just it's one of those things which you can't explain, but it makes you think. Yeah, but we do. I mean, with a lot of our other show, other episodes with mysteries and stuff, we have a we've seen our fair share of weird coincidences. So I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how many strange connections that people can kind of add on to these type of events. So Sean, I was reading about an area called the Red Forest. It's like a ten square kilometer area that surrounds the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Did you read about that? Uh, it's better called not the red forest. You should really call it the ginger forest. Ginger like, forest. It's it's uh, not red and the communist red. It's 
called ginger, like the hair color ginger. Right, right. That was just kind of a huge forest land where all the trees just died soon after the event because of the high levels of radiation. It's just kind of interesting how this disaster just kind of killed, I mean, not only damaged the people in it, but killed, like, you know, the life and the animals of the surrounding area as well. It's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I, I guess so. But then again, nothing about life and animals. Well, of course, this has sparked. Uh, and again, did some reading for you guys. Of course, this has sparked a lot of discussion about all sorts of uh, weird animals just running around that zone. A lot of that was used in the video game Stalker, by the way. But and there was a lot of rumors about all of this. But when you think about it, it happened in 1986, uh, and all the nature part. You know. <laughs> In, when put in comparison with all the oil spills and everything, it wasn't wasn't like that terrible. But I just I just wonder how how it's like how can we deal with this this source of power which you like use daily with incompetence and then it literally murders murders all living things. And then you, then you think about it that uh, we have all these nuclear weapons and, and and when you when you the more you read about nuclear things, just Nagasaki, Hiroshima, or Chernobyl, you start to think about the fact that we have weaponized this, and we have tons of that, and what happens if they drop them down? Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, just how much damage this event from, like, a power plant, and there's been other power plants, like, it's disasters, not as big as Chernobyl, but it, it is kind of a reminder of how much power that these things hold and just a few things can go wrong and just cause so much damage. And I mean, that's, I was reading that kind of the zone is kind of turned into this wildlife sanctuary just because there are no people there now. So there's always animals kind of rare animals coming back and almost thriving there because there's no people. And I was reading an article that was saying even the risk of mutations or, you know, radiation sickness is still not as harmful to the animals as just regular humans living there. Uh, so I guess it just kind of shows how destructive we can be to the environment. You should, you should, I, I, what I wonder is that I want to see some pictures of the rats in Pripyat because they're naturally resistant to radiation. And by this time, when everything else has died, rats and cockroaches there have survived basically. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see. I would like to see how the rats have evolved. But yeah, have you have you like looked at the pictures of, of Pripyat? Yeah, it's. I've kind of looked at some of the pictures. I guess of people who have gone on tours, and I mean, it, it is kind of creepy to me that it's just like this huge abandoned city. I mean, it's kind of like like a ghost town. Uh, but it, it's interesting to me because just because it has been abandoned for you know decades, that it's kind of. I guess a little glimpse into what a bunch of modern cities would be like in some kind of apocalyptic event where you have all these, this big city and settlements, but just no humans in there and just seeing how nature slowly takes over. Hey everyone, Sean here. Taking a quick break to give a shout out to Dark Myths. Dark Myths is a collective of podcasts that include a wide range of genres and topics. Both Strange Matters and Eastern Border Podcasts are members of Dark Myths, so if you're looking for other podcasts similar to ours, whether you're looking for something mystery-based, historical or cultural, or even something a bit spooky, 
You can check out the entire lineup of shows at darkmyths.org. Now before we get to the second part of our episode, I want to give a quick warning that the audio has some echo issues. We recorded this session with a Skype recorder, so unfortunately the quality is not as clear. Besides that though, we hope you enjoy the episode as we dive into all the weird and bizarre events that surround Chernobyl. Alright, so now we've covered all the history and backstory of Chernobyl, so let's get into some of the more weird myths and legends. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is the Blackbird of Chernobyl. I don't know if you guys have heard that one before. Heard of it. Yeah, Actually, so, I haven't. Yeah, it, it's not too well known. But um, So apparently what the Blackbird is, the workers who survived the, the blast and fire in, but would later die of radiation poisoning supposedly claim to have witnessed what has been described as just this large black bird-like creature apparently has glowing red eyes and just pretty big, like a 20-foot wingspan that was flying above the smoke of the reactors. And so people have been theorized about what this blackbird of Chernobyl was. And some people, I don't know if you guys, I'm, Eric, I think you are, but Chris, I don't know if you know what the, the Mothman is. That's that's the creepy creature around, I don't know which part of America, but like two meters tall with wings and everything. Yeah, yeah I've heard of that one. It was first pointed in, uh, or first spotted in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and basically it was, it was spotted leading up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December fifteenth, nineteen sixty-eight, and where a number of people died. So, the Mothman is one of America's most famous paranormal cryptids, and some people think that the Blackbird or Chernobyl, either it's just another sighting of the Mothman, or is somehow connected some other creature that brings about bad omens. Um, so basically, yeah, the physical description of both the Blackbird of Chernobyl and the Mothman are pretty similar. So, you know, they both have, like, red eyes and big wingspan. So it was reported that this people have been spotting both these creatures, both the Mothman and the Blackbird of Chernobyl, several days leading up to their respective disasters. And those who encountered them had nightmares for days afterwards. So that's kind of the more supernatural element to it. Um, one of the more practical, I guess, theories is that some people think that whoever spotted this blackbird was nothing more than just misidentification of a black stork, which is a widespread but pretty uncommon bird that can be found in Central and Eastern Europe. So, I mean, the blackbirds... Yes, we have a lot of them over here. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not that big. It has, like, a six-foot wingspan, not the 20-foot that the, the blackbird supposedly has. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's one of the legends of Chernobyl that supposedly there is this big black like this huge black bird type creature that was uh people spotted days up to the disaster I guess it was kind of like a a bad omen for things to come um I could, I could see how fear could grip you and you could easily mistake a giant stork for some sort of mystical creature and the story could quickly quickly dissolve devolve into rumors of a winged beast yeah i mean that's one of the leading theories behind the mothman also is that people were just misidentifying misidentifying birds so yeah i get what you're saying Eric. i mean they might have just seen some big black bird and then you know the story just kind of took off from there yeah because i don't know we 
around these parts in Eastern Europe, there aren't that many legends connected with birds, except for, you know, ravens, as usual. But normally we don't have much of a bird culture going on here. So it would be pretty unusual if, if you know, it, was, if it would be just like this folk legend. It just doesn't seem to be connected with, with any folk legends about birds, because we barely have any. Right. So, um, do, do for that to actually be reported as something strange, well, I don't know, it, it would have been pretty pretty unusual. Because, because people reported all sorts of weird lights, uh, like in Tunguska, when, when that happened, and UFOs were reported in the Soviet era, but uh, this, is, this is actually the first time I hear about this one, which is, um, for me, um, kind of puts a, a little bit of doubt on all the subject. Because I, I would have, I would have heard of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of trying to look into the, uh, the background of it. I think this is just, uh, you know, just, just a legend that people have made up. Either that, or just people exaggerating the reports that people gave. Yeah, seems so. Well, what else do, what else do you guys have? Yeah, actually, there have been a number of uh, <clears throat> reported hauntings around. The area of people who tour Chernobyl and Pripyat. How do you say that word? Pripyat. Pripyat. Yeah, that. <laughs> uh, lots of people, when they walk around the area, claim that they feel the place is haunted. Um, so apparently, some people have felt that they were being watched or being followed while exploring the area. Um, I came across a particularly interesting story. Um, about some sightings and encounters with mutated men. Um, there was one where I read, and it, it was the lore behind the story seems a little bit hard to believe, but it was a story of four American rescuers who went to Chernobyl shortly after the events in radiation suits. And I don't believe the story is very credible, but it's... Okay. Okay, I can I can tell you at the beginning. Uh, no, Americans didn't go straight away to help. Is that there were two like rich philanthropists and doctors who arrived later to help the victims, but no, no, uh, there were no Americans straight up uh, after in, in, like gathering all the stuff because Soviet Union was very secretive and they tried to cover all this up. So that's a problem. There might be some tourists later, they allow tourists in right now, but the fact that some American soldiers would have actually gone and held their first hand, you see, that was a military secret which was going on there, and we were still in the Cold War, so I doubt that Americans would be allowed to see all the equipment there, with all the secrecy going on. Another strike against this story, but it's still pretty interesting. Um, it, it tells the story of four Americans who were dispatched on a top-secret mission to Chernobyl within the weeks following the event um, to look for people to rescue. Um, and they were in their camp, which is, like, protected from the radiation under these this special material. And they were, like, in these, these tents and in their campsite, and they heard this strange chewing noise. And they went outside to look for what was making this weird chewing noise, and there was nothing. And then so they're, they're in their camp for several days, and they're pretty much stranded at the moment. They, they've been looking around, haven't been finding any survivors, and then all of a sudden one of the group of four goes missing. Um, and they're looking for him, and a few days later they find his body lying on the ground dismembered with his head removed. And so they, they retreat back to their camp to hide um, because there's, there's no escape for them at this point. They're... 
the helicopter that dropped them off hasn't returned. Their communications are out. Their food is dwindling. The water is contaminated. And then two of the individuals start acting strange, almost kind of exhibiting some signs of radiation poisoning. One of them starts acting quiet and seems to be getting, like, bigger almost is how the story goes. And one of them with radiation poisoning kind of losing his mind and runs outside screaming. And they're watching him run outside, and these beasts jump out of nowhere and, and rip him apart. Um, so they're looking at the strange beasts that they just saw rip their friend apart, and they're kind of like in a human form, and but they move like animals, and they don't have any eyes. Um, so the other individuals kind of in the tents stands up, and he lunges at them, and so the author of the journal, his name is Mark, shoots him dead. So he's the last one living, this guy named Mark. And the sound of the gunshot attracts hundreds more of the creatures. And that's when the diary ends, is he's telling that he's just, like, surrounded by these creatures outside of his campsite. I don't know. I think this was kind of silly. Allegedly, the, the journal was found months later or years later, and... Well, it's consistent with, with some some things there are consistent with other sightings. I mean, strange strange sounds are often reported, especially the chewing sounds, and uh, in for by tourists in the area, and, you know. But then again, it might be something natural. Just the atmosphere there is so creepy that you might mistake anything for anything, really. But the strange sightings of human-like beasts, uh, yeah, that's also been reported because. Like I said, not everyone went away when the explosion happened, and people are some people are like still living there, and it's quite common. It's quite common to, to think think about what might have happened. But uh, yeah, the, the sighting part of the beast, but they they often, they usually just run away from people when they're spotted, not not go and murder people. But the strange chewing noises and the sightings of, of strange beings there, humanoid beings, uh, yeah, that's pretty common. Yeah, I mean, as far as the, the noises and the, the feelings of being haunted, I mean, some people feel that just being alone in their house. So I can imagine if you're touring an entire abandoned city that your imagination would kind of get the better of you. And every single noise you hear, you'd probably think it's some kind of haunting or something. But when you reality, it's just either nature or just, you know, common sounds. Yeah, the theory is that this, this radiation exposure some somehow mutated human beings into these strange bloodthirsty creatures and i guess that's just kind of a school of thought with some of these well yeah. mostly mostly it just might as well be a you know 75 year old lady who refuses to leave her house in the area and who just you know walks around picking some shrooms up or something or berries or whatever and you know she just doesn't want to be seen because it's illegal what she's doing so right. that yeah, also might be the case yeah because like people said like you know they see people like you know off in the distance or something they think it's some kind of either creature like secret forces but yeah i mean as you were saying christoph there are people living in the area so i mean if any tourist sees anybody and they run away it's probably just someone who's still living around that area so stops i we had one more story but if you wanted to go ahead and get into some of the research you did by all means oh yeah I just I don't have that much, so we'll finish with your story as well. But mine is that, you see, the 
Soviet government were like really big into this ESP psychic studies, a lot of them, and they found it very interesting. So there were, besides the usual rumors of the fact that you know there are mutated animals and shrooms over there in Chernobyl, just like all the time, some people, as far as I've read on the internet, Russian boards, think that the incident was caused by a test, but not a test like happened, which happened there in the reactor, but they were testing some hidden psychic phenomenons like uh, in, in the background, like there's a reactor, that, therefore you have like all the secrecy and safety measures there, but that in the reactor itself, in the building, they were testing out some ESP experiments or trying to communicate with the extraterrestrial terrestrial life. Now there's disagreement over whether or not the people in this experiment have been trying to connect, contact aliens or, for example, ghosts or something, but apparently a lot of people think that the scientists there were trying to contact something extraterrestrial, either like aliens or something, and that it went terribly wrong, which caused a malfunction in the reactor test. And, you know, quite a lot of, quite a lot of weird people have come up with, with this uh, idea that this might, this might be the case. You know, it's kind of one of the more popular things going on on the Russian interwebs. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. But, yeah, it's definitely, I guess, a uh, I don't want to say credible, but I mean, it makes for a good story. Some secret experiments going on in an already secure location. And I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit interesting because the Soviets actually did fund some ESP research back then. You know, just as, you know, your, your government did a lot of LSD testing, like the MK Ultra project. Yeah. But uh, the Soviets were really big into all this psychic things and stuff. And, so yeah. it's, it's kind of incredible that they might have actually been doing some testing, which probably didn't cause the director to meltdown, but it's documented that, yes, indeed, they did some, some testing with the supernatural phenomenon. It kind of seemed like a fad at the time, you know, is race between these countries to see who could develop psychic super soldiers or see into the future or, you know, develop telekinetic powers. It's, it's not the first I've heard of governments exploring these possibilities like you said the mk ultra program and stuff like that yeah but you know it's kind of interesting because well what else would you do if you'd be a government agency and you just hear that this other one is testing these psychics and it might not be real but what if it is and you're lagging behind you have this uh, psychic gap yes yeah if it did end up being real the other side would definitely have a massive tactical advantage and therefore it would be worth putting some research into to see if it actually was a possibility. Yeah. I mean, it seems funny today, but hey, who knows? Why there are rumors that Russians are still doing this. I mean, there is this state funded program on television about the psychic about the, about the psychic contest. But yeah, what's what's your third story then? About this? Uh, so my third story um, revolving around the Chernobyl event. Um, it kind of revolves around this concept that if the fourth reactor had exploded, the Chernobyl event would have been much worse, given that the explosion that did occur was a thermal explosion as opposed to an actual nuclear explosion, which would have leveled a large portion of Europe. So, so um, a lot of people ask how it was that this fourth reactor didn't explode. And one of the um, stories that I came across on the internet 
um, was that some people believe it was not like a divine intervention, but rather an extraterrestrial intervention. And now there have been reports of sightings of UFOs over Chernobyl that claim that a UFO was seen hovering over the fourth reactor. And there were actually allegedly hundreds of eyewitnesses that claim that this was hovering over the reactor for nearly six hours. And some people hypothesized that it was to stabilize the reactor by bringing the radiation levels down. Um, and a guy named Mikhail Britsky had, had said, um, I and other people from my team went to the site of the blast at night. We saw a ball of fire and it was slowly flying in the sky. I think the ball was six or eight meters in diameter. Then we saw two rays of crimson light stretching toward the fourth unit. The object was some 300 meters from the reactor. The event lasted for about three minutes. The lights of the object went out and it flew away into the northwestern direction. However, these sightings of the UFOs were not really written about for several years after the events. Um, so I think three years later in 1989 was when the reports were first published. Um, the fourth power generator once again emitted radiation into the atmosphere. And then several hours later, a doctor saw an object in the sky above the Chernobyl plant that he described as amber light. She said she could see the top and the bottom of it as well. And in October of 1990, a report from the newspaper called The Echo of Chernobyl was photographing the machine shop of the Chernobyl plant. It said, I photographed the top of it, including part of the hole above. I remember everything very well. I did not see any UFO. However, when I developed the film, I clearly saw an object that was hovering above the hole in the roof. The object looked like the one Dr. Gaspina saw. So I don't know if there's any real credibility to this. They claim that lots of people witnessed this. Um, in the last uh, quote, you know, photographs develop all kinds of strange ways so it could have easily have been something with the development of of the photograph or just some sort of glitch. But I don't know. It's definitely uh, interesting. I was just going to say, I guess it's like the second story where people have seen something hovering above the reactor. So, I mean, earlier with the Blackbird, now UFO. So it could just be something was hovering above or being emitted and people were just mistaking it for either some giant bird or some kind of UFO object. But it is kind of weird that several... You have two different stories of apparently seeing two different things hovering above the reactor. Well, there are UFO sightings a lot of... The UFO sightings, when some catastrophe happens, are often mentioned all over the planet. Like, I don't know, like, I've heard studies that some there was a UFO nearby when 9-11 happened, too. Like, yeah. but it, it happens like all the time. But about the report being three years later in 1989, it actually makes some sense because uh, that's when Glasnost happened and people actually were starting to publish things for real. Um, I, I, I can I can kind of say that, well, listening to these stories, the people must have seen something over there, something strange and out of place in, in, in this, this weird, weird spot. But then again, it might be just atmospheric things or something, but... It's certainly interesting because all these reports of the bird of Chernobyl and, and this, I don't know, maybe there was something. I'm not saying it's UFOs or anything weird. It might as well just be, I don't know, Soviet helicopter flying around there. 
and that being hidden or something, or your own spy plane or whatever, but I think it is kind of credible to say that there might be something hovering nearby and monitoring the whole thing a bit. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's likely. No, it's possible, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, it could just be that the radiation was kind of you know, cooking people's brains, for lack of a better word, and they were having hallucinations just from fear and shock of the whole situation. Um, I don't, if I was in a situation like that, I can't possibly imagine me being clear-minded and not impressionable. So, I don't know, it could just be UFO enthusiasts spreading lies. Um, however, if it was aliens, my question to you all was, do you think they were doing it to protect mankind, or if they simply wanted to preserve our planet? I think it's tourism. Ha ha, look at what the dumb people over there are doing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I mean, I I don't understand. I don't get why aliens would be so invested that they would be stopping this nuclear meltdown, um, unless if they just were giving us a do-over or something. But it's definitely an interesting yeah. story. If you believe David Ike, and then they're running this planet, then you know, you know. Sorry, I said I think Kristoff is probably right. I think they were just watching and laughing at us. Yeah. Any other creepy stories they wanted to talk about? Yeah, the last one I, just like a little bit, but uh, I read some story about some kind of child of Chernobyl, which is basically, I guess it was like the version of a take your kid to work day for at Chernobyl, and someone either, well, either someone brought their kid around the power plant or some kid snuck on during the, the meltdown and this child receives some massive dose of radiation, was seen running off screaming into the forest, and then apparently mutated. And people have been spotting this mutated child-like creature and hearing, hearing its wails in the forest. But I guess that's that's similar to Eric's story of just mutated men. The idea that teenagers and some kids would have sneaked, would have like snuck up there, it's actually kind of... That's one of the most more possible things. Of course, it wasn't reported or anything, but you know, the citizens of Pripyat, the, the inhabitants of Pripyat, were just walking like the next day, just walking around for a whole day. They could just see this exploded reactor core and everything. And you know, kids were allowed to run around freely, so uh, I don't know. It might be very suicidal and stupid, but <laughs> well, so kids are stupid. So. Well, well, maybe maybe there there was some kid who after the the thing just ran the reactor to have some fun over there. Yeah, so I mean, apparently, I mean, if you believe this story, like, people tried chasing after this child into the woods, but never found a body or anything, but they just assumed that he either ran away or died, but the other part is that he, or she, I don't know, whatever this child was, is sticking around Chernobyl, just kind of slumbering around, all mutated in the woods, scaring people. So does it eat people, or? I don't think so. I mean... It's pretty much just like some weird thing that's spotted in the distance and then it runs away. I mean, it, it just kind of sounds like people just making up stories or either just someone exaggerating, like someone saw a kid running off into the woods and told somebody else, and then that story just kind of sp spread out of control. But I think that's just another kind of urban legend that's attributed to this disaster. Interesting. Well, then, then again, you do have to, when you go to Chernobyl, uh, to have the story guide. You kind of have to walk around with a guide, or at least report once a day to the central 
central base. I know it might be because of the radiation that you're checked thoroughly when you enter and you leave. And it's not as easy as taking a walk into the park, you know. Yeah. So that, 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 that also makes some people think that the government is actually trying to hide something in there. And besides, right now, as in just right now, I mean, if I was if I was the Ukrainian government and I wanted to do some secret secret research, I would probably do that over there, because why not? Very yeah, few people say, go there, anyways. Yeah, it's like you already have this huge zone of land that is off limits. So if you're gonna make a secret base or anything, might as well put it there. It's kind of like Area Fifty One in the out out west. I mean. It's the middle of the desert. Why would anybody want to be out there? What could possibly be out in the middle of the desert? Yeah. Yeah, it's already yeah. isolated and hidden. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, kind of. All right. Well, before we leave, do you want to plug your show again, Kristaps? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, um... I don't know. Plug my show real quick. Oh, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> no, I'm Kristaps Andres Sons from the Eastern Border Podcast, and... Um, I basically talk about the events in the Soviet Russia and whole Eastern Europe, basically, from the eyes of the people who actually live there. Good. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Borders is definitely one of the podcasts I keep up to date with, so I advise all of our listeners to go check it out, at least. It's very interesting. Okay. And thank you for the conversation, guys. All right, so Kristaps, thanks for joining us on this show. Thank you for having me. All right. See you later, Kristaps. See ya. So thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Strange Matters Podcast. Be sure to tune in and check out the Eastern Borders Podcast as well. It's an excellent podcast, very interesting. Um, if you would like to reach us to send feedback, suggestions, or further discussion of this episode's topic, please reach us at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. And you can comment, listen, and download our episodes at strangematterspodcast.com. If you would like to follow us on social media, we have a Facebook page and Twitter. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please rate us and leave us a review. It helps promote the podcast and helps us reach more listeners. So until our next episode, everybody take it easy. See you guys.